The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, move over Krebs, we're talking about the glyoxylate pathway. Wait, Krebs helped to discover this pathway. Oh yeah, get back here Krebs, we need to talk oxalates. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. I always want to put an apostrophe in Krebs' cycle. Oh, yeah. Like, it's his? Like, whose pathway is this? <laughs> oh, that belongs to Krebs. <laughs> like, his last name is Krebs? It's not. Hello! Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are we today? I think we're doing okay. How are you doing? Oh, thank you for asking. I'm doing great. You know oh, what? Yeah. So great, I might even be crushing it. Wow. Good for you. So proud of you. So, uh, this is a podcast, if mm-hmm. you didn't know. If you didn't know what you're listening to, um... <laughs> And it's called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. Yep. And if you want to join us on iTunes or Spotify, maybe hit that subscribe button. Join us. Yes. Rate, review, share with your friends, leave us some feedback, some stars. Yeah. And if you have additional feedback, you can email us. Email us. At podcast at gdx.net. That's right. Patty, have you been looking at the Instagram recently? Intermittently. Have you seen anything from Genova Diagnostics? Like something, it sounds like something's going on. Yes, something is coming. It's been teased on our Instagram and social media. Something nutritional. Something very nutritional. And as the director of product innovation, perhaps you'd have a little bit of insight into this. Hmm. Yeah. I I might have a few ideas of what's going on. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm kind of familiar with it. One might even say that I'm in the know of it. Okay, so it. We're talking about it. What is this it? What is the it? Oh, just you (laughs) wait. March 1st, baby. We are going to take nutrition testing and blow your mind. So that's someone's brain exploding? Yeah. I mean, for some reason, that sounded like there was glass in there, too, which can't (laughs) be good for you. Well, well, with that, so you you just did explode brain. Are you going to Tell us specifically what you're talking about. Or are you going to keep this high level in general and just be a teaser cliffhanger? No, no, I'm not going to spill the beans. I'm not going to hmm. give away all the secrets. I mean, look, people got to wait. People got to wait Patience. till Monday. Patience is a virtue. I'm trying to teach that to everyone in my family. Builds character. It's exactly right. And so, on. look, on Monday, you will see what we have done. And then once you see it, then you'll essentially be having to pick up like parts of skull fragments and brain and stuff from with glass from, from well, well yeah so <laughs> for whatever reason <laughs> off the floor and put it back right. together. But I will say this: I mean, out of the blue, out of nowhere, I was just I was really thinking about the glyoxylate pathway. So out of the blue, we're gonna do an oxalate episode on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Out of the blue. What What does out of the blue even mean? Does that mean like out of the Im- sky? Impromptu. Like out of the sky, just pulling it out of the blue sky. Uh, yeah, it kind of means like unplanned. <sighs> no, I mean like, where did we get it? Where did it come from? No, that's what I'm trying to say. It's sort of like something that's unexpected, sudden, wow. abrupt. I get that. We know that. Where, but where does it come from? I, I don't know, Patty. It came out of the blue. <laughs> well, 
you know what else comes seemingly out of the blue? What's that? Kidney stones. Ouch. Which makes me think of oxalates. Yeah, wakes you up in the middle of the night. I wouldn't know, but you've had them. That's right. They never found it. (laughs) But um, so let's talk oxalates, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is an interesting area of metabolism. This is part of the whole uh, what's called the glyoxalate pathway. And this is it's interesting. Most times it's depicted as kind of fitting in between the Krebs cycle. Do you know that? I did. And I'll tell you, we mentioned this in a prior episode that Hans Krebs made the Krebs cycle. Yeah. He also happened to help discover this glyoxalate pathway we're going to talk about today. Yep. As well as the urea cycle. He's a cycle guy. He's the trifecta biochemistry. And before we get into the glyoxalate pathway, I feel like there's a public service announcement that needs to be done because there are a lot of words in this pathway. There's a lot of chemicals, metabolites in this pathway that have very similar sounding names. Let me tell you, when we did the methylation episode, I was really worried about that because it's really complex biochemistry. But this one is a much smaller pathway. It's just that all the names sound very similar. I'm not worried. Here's what I think we should do, Michael. What's I think we should link in the show notes a graphic so that people can follow along. Yeah, it's a great idea. Let me take care of that right now, actually. There we go. All right, let's do this. Let's get into it. I'm so excited. I'm going to stand up, actually. I'm going to stand up. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think a good place to start is, what is an oxalate? Well, we tend to think of oxalates as a little bit of a loose term to describe various metabolites of this glyoxalate pathway. Like a collective general term. Yeah, and they are, by nature, organic acids, too. Right. But we're going to get into the fact that there are several different oxalate markers in the pathway. That's right. That's right. And specifically, the ones that we're talking about today, we're going to focus in on glyceric acid, glycolic acid, and oxalic acid. Okay, well, I think... An important note here is, why do we care about these, Michael? Why do we care about oxalates? Well, they're they're interesting. First and foremost, when we think about oxalates, we think of calcium oxalate stones, right. which makes us think about kidney stones. 80% of kidney stones are calcium oxalate stones. So that's huge. That's, that's probably the main reason why we would be talking about oxalates. But there's also some evidence to suggest that there might be changes in these markers related to oxidative stress. Okay, well, those sound pretty important. Why don't we dive right into this pathway? And I think important to note is it's called the glyoxalate pathway. So in my mind, I always start with glyoxalate because it's kind of smack dab in the middle. Patty, you are absolutely right. Thank you. Glyoxalate is right there. It's like the hub of the entire mm-hmm. glyoxalate pathway. That's probably why they call it the glyoxalate pathway, actually, now that I think about it. You're correct, sir. But I think the first question I would have is, where does glyoxalate come from? Well, it comes from several places, actually. I would start with collagen and hmm. the breakdown of collagen. And the reason why I start there is that it's estimated some 30 to 50 percent of uh, glyoxalate ultimately comes from the breakdown of collagen throughout just kind of regular daily activity and metabolism. So that's really important. So it, collagen breaks down into hydroxyproline and then hydroxyproline ultimately turns into uh, glyoxalate. Well, the point you made earlier was that this is a hub. So although that's one way that we get glyoxalate, another way we get it is in the metabolism of serine and glycine. And we've talked about those in the past. Those are important amino acids. And we know that serine and glycine can kind of interconvert, but they can also then further downstream convert to glyoxalate. And last but not least, Mm -hmm. this glyoxalate can come from a molecule called glyoxal, not to be confused with glyoxalate and these other gly things. Okay. So glyoxal turns into glyoxalate. That sounds like math. 
Yeah, you just add eight. But you never answer the question of where does glyoxyl come from. So this is so interesting. I I am fascinated by glyoxyl, honestly, hmm. because it is a breakdown product of oxidative stress. So it can come from things like lipid peroxidation, um, auto-oxidation of certain things like ascorbate, oxidative degradation of glucose and glycated proteins. So those things can essentially break down into glyoxyl, which in and of itself is cytotoxic. It's a free, it's a very radical molecule and can lead to the production of advanced glycation end products. All right. So in times of oxidative stress, you have a lot of glyoxyl, yes. which then becomes glyoxylate. Again, back to the hub of this little pathway. Right. So three avenues, collagen, glycine breakdown, and oxidative stress in the form of glyoxyl. So the question now becomes, okay, what happens to glyoxylate? You have all these three inputs. Then what does glyoxylate do? Yeah, ultimately it gets disposed of, and there's two offshoots to dispose of it. It can either turn into glycolic acid or oxalic acid. See, they also know like. I blame Krebs. Okay, so let me get this right. If glyoxylate turns into glycolic acid and oxalic acid, mm -hmm. what might elevate those two Analytes. Well, think about, we just talked about the three inputs to get to get you to glyoxylate, right? Mm -hmm. So any increase in collagen turnover or supplementing with collagen, if you're increasing your intake of things like serine or glycine, and then in any increased oxidative stressor will increase glyoxylate and increase those two metabolites. Yeah, and while that may lead to higher levels of both glycolic acid and oxalic acid, clinically, mm -hmm. I think I'm most concerned about high levels of oxalic acid because it's oxalic acid that has the association with risk of kidney stones. The higher your urinary concentration of oxalic acid is, the more you are at risk for developing a kidney stone. Well, if we're going to talk about oxalic acid being very clinically important. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about some of the sources that most people think about when you think about urinary oxalic acid. And most people go to food. Oh, right. These deadly foods exactly. that are high in oxalates, ruining your kidneys. <laughs> and we mainly think about things like rhubarb, or beets, Ugh. nuts, chocolate, Ugh. tea, wheat mm. bran, strawberries, and... Worst of all, um, spinach. spinach. I'm sorry, but those sound like some healthy foods. It does, doesn't Should it? Should I be afraid of those? Well, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. There are oxalates in food. Yeah. That's not the whole story. What's the rest of the story? Oxalates are broken down in food when you cook them, when you process them. Dramatically reduces the number of oxalates. So then, if you cook your spinach, far less yeah. oxalates. Yeah. Then you eat the foods. Okay. They work their way down the digestive tract. Mm -hmm. You know how that works. Yep. And then they encounter the microbiome in the gut. Mm -hmm. Several bugs down there actually break down oxalates. Yeah, the most famous one, I think, is oxalobacter formigenes. It's in the name, right? Mm-hmm. But also some other ones as well. I believe some bifidobacteria can break down oxalates. So depending on your microbiome and how healthy it is, then there's another reduction in oxalic acid from your food. Then there's a third contributor, which is calcium. Hmm. Calcium directly inhibits the absorption of oxalic acid in the gut. So when you think about those foods, yes, they have some oxalates in them. Most of them have calcium too. Especially spinach. And then if you eat your spinach, odds are you're going to have a fairly good microbiome. So that further 
blocks the reabsorption of oxalates? Yeah, it's estimated that around 40% of oxalates in the urine, oxalic acid in the urine, is coming from dietary intake. But that's highly variable on what we just talked about. I think at the end of the day, you need to look at the clinical presentation. Is this somebody who has recurrent kidney stones? Do they have high oxalic acid in the urine? Then maybe... But, back the foods. But in the average individual, the health benefits of these foods oftentimes way outweigh the concern around the oxalates. That's right. I think important to note is that there is also another reason for oxalic acid to be elevated in the urine, and it revolves around something called an inborn error of metabolism. And these are just enzymatic deficiencies or insufficiencies that are often diagnosed in infancy and many don't live into adulthood. And so I think an important note is that there is an inborn error of metabolism that can cause elevated oxaluria and our test isn't designed to diagnose those inborn errors. Yeah, and that can be said about so many of these organic acid markers. The Mm -hmm. rest of the oxalate markers, like glycolic and glyceric acid, like numerous other of the uh, organic acids, like I said, those can also be really elevated in inborn errors of metabolism, but our test is not designed to necessarily discern that. But I think clinically another really interesting facet to urinary oxalic acid is that in metabolic syndrome, we tend to see higher excretion of oxalic acid. So things like uh, increased BMI, weight, and insulin resistance are all positively correlated with urinary oxalic acid. And these people tend to actually develop kidney stones more frequently. Okay, so you said they're correlated with. Is that correlative or is it causative? Well, we never can say that correlation equals causation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we know that, right? Right. I think... Epidemiology. Uh, can we retire that statement yet? I feel like no. that has permeated so much that we all just know that. No, it's not. We have to keep ringing that bell. Responsible stewards in the space, sir. So ultimately, there's positive correlation, so we can't say causation. But I do have a few thoughts. Uh-oh. Sometimes literature is inconclusive. That's right. No one really seems to know the answers. Uh But we're lucky because we have someone who always has an answer, and that's Michael Chapman. What? He's going to offer us his logical speculation. I am? Yeah. I mean... Still my favorite. Can we change that intro? It just really... Why? It really makes me uncomfortable. It makes me... Because... It puts me in a very bad position. Like, everything that I'm about to say is completely made up. Or is it genius? It's just, that's not how that comes across, is what I'm trying to say. that's how it's intended. (sighs) Go ahead, speculate away. Okay, so we're talking about metabolic dysfunction, right? Talking about things like insulin resistance, elevated BMI. And so we know that... One of the sources, one of the inputs to the glyoxylate pathway is this molecule glyoxyl, which comes from oxidative stress and oxidative damage um, and can also contribute to oxidative stress and oxidative damage. So the thing that I think about is in people with metabolic dysfunction, high BMI, uh, maybe more adiposity, that these are people that are also prone to higher degrees of oxidative stress. So from there, it turns into a little bit of a chicken and the egg scenario, which we did solve with the pre-chicken concept. But in this scenario, the question does become, does metabolic syndrome create increased levels of oxidative stress or does oxidative stress lead to worsening metabolic syndrome? And the answer to that, of course, is most likely both. Also, as a side note, a pre-chicken is an egg. 
No, there's the egg, the chicken, and then there's the pre-chicken. Solved it. Okay, so we talked about high levels of oxalic acid in the urine mm-hmm. from dietary intake and from oxidative stress uh, associated with metabolic syndrome, perhaps. Mm-hmm. What else? Well, because we know the precursor to oxalic acid in the urine is glyoxalate, and we know that glyoxalate can come from things like hydroxyproline or collagen turnover, one might think that increasing collagen turnover for whatever reason or supplementing with collagen could increase your glyoxalate and therefore your oxalic acid. Yeah, I wonder about bone broth, actually. So many Mm -hmm. people are eating bone broth. Like We've never done a study on that, and I do wonder about how much contribution from something like that product could lead to oxalic acid in the urine. Well, oxalic acid sounds like a really important organic acid. That's interesting. Yeah. But when we talked about it having the precursor of glyoxalate, we also talked about that there's two different disposal shoots. One is oxalic acid, but the other one is something called glycolic acid. So... Why might someone see glycolic acid in their urine? Yeah, so since it's coming from the same precursor, uh, then we think about really kind of the same things that led to higher oxalic acid production. So we think about collagen turnover. We think about increased oxidative stress. We think about maybe consumption with glycine or high glycine-rich foods. So that's coming down uh, from that input source too. Um, and so whether that relates to metabolic resistance or metabolic dysfunction um, or you know dietary intake of collagen, the all these things that we talked about with oxalic acid can apply to glycolic acid, and which is why you might see both of those markers uh, or both of those organic acids high at the same time. Well, there's another way you can get glycolic acid that does not have the precursor of glyoxalate, and it comes from that other molecule you you talked about earlier, the glyoxal, which is a direct product of oxidative stress. Yeah, so this is one of the things that's kind of a nuance to this glyoxalate pathway is we talked about how oxidative stress leads to the production of this um, this kind of free radical called glyoxal. <clears throat> well, glyoxal has kind of an immediate disposal shoot, kind of a shunt to where it can directly turn into glycolic acid, but it requires a cofactor by the name of glutathione to do so. So now you kind of loop in this aspect of antioxidant capacity, manipulating how that oxidative stress is disposed of, right? So because glutathione is going to kind of neutralize this glyoxal and turn it into glycolic acid. So At the end of the day, I think the thing that's interesting here is that if you have a problem with glutathione, say you have low glutathione levels, then you're not going to be able to use this shunt as well. And what will happen is you might shift the dynamics of the pathway, ultimately leading to the glyoxal not turning into glycolic acid, the one we're talking about right now, but turning into more of the oxalic acid that we were talking about before. And that could predispose to perhaps uh, kidney stone risk as well. So if I'm hearing you correctly, if someone has oxidative stress and low glutathione... A bad duo, yeah. Correct. They're going to have elevated levels of oxalic acid and glycolic acid, but probably a little bit more of oxalic. Yeah, proportionally, because the shunt isn't working quite as well. The disposal shoot. All right, let's talk about one last oxalate marker called glyceric acid. Okay. Tell me a little bit about glyceric acid. So remember we talked about... That glyoxalate's the hub. It's the middle hub. Yeah. Three inputs. One's from hydroxyproline and collagen. One comes from oxidative stress by way of glyoxal. The other input is by the interconversion of serine and glycine, which then metabolize down to glyoxalate. So we think about glyceric acid as kind of an offshoot 
of that one input of glycine and serine? Yeah, I think simply glyceric acid comes from serine breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit of an off sh- offshoot. It's you know a little bit further away from the action we were talking about before. And at the end of the day, not a lot is known about glyceric acid. And there have been a few metabolomic studies that showed higher levels of glyceric acid in rheumatoid arthritis and schizophrenia and bipolar, hmm. which I think is kind of interesting. Um, and then there's there's also an in, a couple rare inborn errors of metabolism with higher levels. You would expect really high levels of glyceric acid. But that's the way that I kind of think about glyceric acid. And it, it might be an indicator for needs for some of the cofactors like vitamin B3 and magnesium. Well, and the other thing is, at the end of the day... Wait, what is that rude, obnoxious noise? What is that? Travis put an alarm in here every time we get a question of the day. Oh my God, get rid of that alarm, please. Travis, please, you're killing me. But I guess that means it's question of the daytime. That's right. What time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. Question of the day, question of the day, question of the day, question of the day. Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you it's know. It's time to get rid of Travis. No. Question of the day. Just question the alarm. Of the day. Question of the day, question of the day, question of the day. Okay. You want to hear the question of the day? Yeah, sure. So when people think about oxalates, we think about kidney stones. Mm-hmm. But there's so much fear out in the world on oxalates because people have this understanding that Oxalates are going to deposit in the tissues all over your body, in your blood vessels, in your heart. What is systemic oxalosis and should I be worried about it? Yeah, that's a good question. So systemic oxalosis is a thing, mm-hmm. but it happens in these rare inborn errors of metabolism, such as primary hyperoxaluria or maybe glyceric aciduria. And so the hallmark presentation for those is always first the development of kidney stones leading to uh, nephropathology and then ultimately you know many years down the road there can be and there has been shown in rare individuals that there is this thing of systemic oxalosis where oxalate crystals can be deposited in cardiovascular tissues and ocular tissues like the retina and lung tissues maybe elsewhere right so it is a thing, but it's mostly relegated to the realm of inborn error of metabolism. So think about it this way. If the first thing that these kids with inborn errors develop is kidney stones, then it's way down the spectrum of high oxalic acid that they start getting this deposition of calcium oxalate crystals elsewhere. If a regular person without inborn error, the first thing they also will be getting is kidney stones. And, like, we typically don't get kidney stones over and over and over. We don't have such a high production of oxalic acid that I'm, I'm going to be concerned in the regular individual. So your answer is, no, I don't need to be worried about that? I would say probably not. Good. Well, Patty, I think that about wraps it up for today, right? Y- you know what would be cool? What's that? What if our nutrition profiles, like the Nutraval, Metabolomics, what if the organic acid section measured some of these oxalate markers. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. You know, we probably should have talked a little bit more about what's happening Monday. Or did we? Did we? Next time on The Lab Report, the Dr. Patrick Hannaway. Man, the myth, the legend, the dream. 
You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Do you like rhubarb? (laughs) I don't know if I've ever had rhubarb. We had a rhubarb bush in our yard. We used to make rhubarb pie. Really? It's delicious. I always just kind of associate rhubarb pie as something that you hear in stories and fairy tales. <laughs> no. I was like, go get the rhubarb pie. <laughs> we ate it. It's delicious. And how? <laughs>